The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love G'day everyone, Mac 19 here and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live again on Port Fan Radio. Look, joining me in the co-host chair, as always, we've got Porsche. G'day, Macca. What a fantastic week in football. It's been a great one, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really exciting. It's been like one big troll. It's been fantastic. <laughs> I think that's probably a good way to put it, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I think we've got, what, we've got two rounds left. I think we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll see how we go. We'll see how we go. That's it. Absolutely. And back on the podcast is Sergeant Schultz. How are we going, everyone? Welcome. G'day, Sarge. Howdy. It's pretty good, good being the biggest club in the state for the first time. Actually, not the first time, but the first time since 1990. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that uh, I, I, love, I love the idea of it, and I love that it's something we can brag about. But I think that the fact that members uh, officially counts anything that's like $50 or over, as long as it's not an animal... Um, it's kind of a really weird definition. It's <laughs> like a $50 membership. You know, what does that actually pay for um, for the club as far as revenue coming in? I wouldn't have thought it would be all that much after you give out the basic gear and handle the sales and all that sort of thing. Um, so I, it's, what is it? It's a bit like uh, how world records, well, not world records, like finish. Oh, there's a comparison I can't think of. Someone else talk for a bit and I'll try and see if I can think of it. Well, of course, what we're talking about is the AFL have released their audited membership figures across the league, and it was uh, pretty happy news for Port Adelaide. 54,057 official members going by their categories, which is uh, up by 10% on last year, and uh, amusingly more than the Crows. Very amusingly when um, Andrew Fagan comes out and says he doesn't care about it, but he does care about it, but he doesn't. That's it. It's not relevant, but I'm going to give eight excuses and you know what? We can beat it anyway if we wanted to, but we just chose not to. It's wonderful. Well, what was it we were talking about last week? You know, Hawthorne had 70,000 members and they had 28,000 at the game on the weekend. Um, it. it's, it's it's kind of meaningless. And I guess what I was thinking of earlier is that it's it makes the records a farce when you're including such a, a broad uh, definition of membership. It's a bit like drug taking for, you know, baseball, how they talk about Barry Bonds, how there's going to be asterisks next to his name because of all the drugs and all that sort of thing uh, that sort of go throughout baseball. It's like, yeah, it's like setting a record, but you're doing it in a dodgy way. And I feel that's really kind of what's happening here. Um, I think if you look at revenue, like not just revenue, I think probably profit per membership, I can't imagine that we are really significantly ahead of any other club. Um, If we are even, I think we probably sold a lot of those three gamers. I saw the um, West Coast Eagles have about, what is it, 60,000 members, but their average crowd is 35 and their stadium holds 40. So that's 20,000 paid-up members who can't get to a game. And they pay something like 150 to 200 bucks just to be on the waiting list. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's insane. Print your your own money when you do that. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's where the real money is, isn't it? You know, anything that gets you a good amount of money but costs not a lot to administrate and it's pretty good but uh when you're talking about the what the 70 dollar 75 dollar um, memberships where you don't attend games and you get your, your membership kit and, and that's what i would imagine that would probably eat away from that pretty quickly 
Yes, no doubt. And I guess the, the good thing to come out of this is we, I guess we know exactly how many sort of 11-game uh, members we've got. We've got 38,500, which is uh, pretty bloody decent, I reckon, compared to Adelaide's, which is 42,500. I know a lot of Crows fans like to think that half our membership's either you know, Crow supporters <laughs> trying to get into showdowns or, or pets or dogs or whatever, but um, you know, to be only 4,000 less uh, season ticket holders than them, I think, is a, a pretty good spot. And as has been said, it, it means that we can sell more three-game th- uh, three memberships, which means we can double or, or triple sell those seats throughout the year and you know, generally still get the same um, end income from them. Well, it's, it's amazing when you think that uh, this year our attendance floor was 33,000, but only, what, 2011 or 12, our average crowd was 19,000. So <laughs> yeah. we've sort of lost um, perspective a little bit in some ways when we got disappointed with that um, Giants crowd. Uh, I kind of agree, but I'll say I think we do need to be very mindful of the fact that we've still got new stadium smell. Um, the yeah. team's going pretty well. Adelaide Oval's still brand spanking new and everyone's in love with it. You know, we've still got people coming from interstate who haven't seen Port Adelaide or anyone play at the Adelaide Oval before. Um, and that's going to be certainly peaking over this first five years of the stadium and then after that it'll have been there once and, think, and then they'll make their decision on whether they actually like the stadium or not. And so that's um, going to be interesting how it's maintained. Uh, can our crowds survive a significant dip in form like we're talking about 2011-2012 style shitness rather than just you know, annoying <laughs> shit year um so i think that we do need to be aware that, that we do have a a high attendance at the ground for reasons compared to what it was at footy park for reasons more than just you know we changed ground it's it's the, that newness factor the hatred of footy park and just the fact that we're a more interesting team to watch now I guess that's the end of that segment. So we'll move on and talk about uh, the preview of this weekend's game, which is Port uh, versus Gold Coast at Metricon Stadium uh, on Saturday night. Uh, we've got a 4-1 win-loss record against the Suns. Um, how much of the Suns have you guys seen this year? Not a lot. Um, probably two games, I'd say. Yeah, I can't, I can't actually think of a game. I've seen them. I think I might have seen one game with Ablett and he got injured. but Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, <laughs> For me, they're probably the team that I've seen least of this year. Maybe four or five games, that would be about it. And, you know, they've just been decimated by injuries. And yeah. certainly 2015 hasn't gone the way that I think uh, Sun supporters and, and I guess everyone across the AFL expected um, Gold Coast season to go. They've only had two players play every game. And that's a first year and a second year player, which is quite extraordinary. Yeah, look, they've had a, a really awful run. Um, and certainly a little bit of messing around. Uh, on the edge with Harley Bennell mid-year. That certainly doesn't help you at all, does it? Uh, mm. It's a really awkward thing. I mean, we've always known that the Gold Coast is a hard place to have a football side from, uh, and that's in any code, you know. Uh, what was it, Gold Coast United? They were not exactly successful. Uh, the the, the Carrara Bears, um, they were not exactly going anywhere when they were there. It's just... I think it's just much harder to get players to focus because it's what happens uh, when players are thinking, oh, well, we can play for a, a real football club or we can go and spend our life on the Gold Coast. It's very hard not to get caught up in that lifestyle. Um, it was basically built on the dreams of Miami Vice in the 1980s and there are certain things that go with that and we should not be surprised <laughs> that footballers on the Gold Coast follow those things. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's always going to be a challenge for them until it becomes more like a real city, which is actually happening up in the Gold Coast. Um, so we'll, we'll see. In future years, like in 10 years' time, they might be 
it might be entirely uh, much more like an Australian capital city, but there's a lot of culture to get past, a lot of baggage to get past as well. Um, and I'm not sure how they're going to achieve that. Well, it has been said that Eid has needed to bring in a bit of a culture change. There was a bit of a drinking culture, a bit of a lad culture with the Suns, and you know he's uh, he's made some tough decisions, and you know, maybe some players haven't necessarily liked that. It'll be interesting to see how they go next year, whether they can recover and become the final side which everyone expected them to be this year. I, I think they can. You look at just um, four of their outs, um, Ablett, O'Meara, Prestia and Swallow. Um, that's a really strong midfield there that's just been off the park for most of the year. So I think they'll bounce back. Yeah. Um, for me, my main concern about Gold Coast is I'm not really all that impressed by their defence. Uh, and if we're talking about a premiership side, which is what these expansion teams is, certainly was the aim, it's why they were drafted the way they did and recruited the way they did, I think that for me is their clear weakness. Um, there's not really anyone there that I'd say is someone that you could say, oh, I've got to get them a Port Adelaide straight away. Um, oh. You reckon there is? Kid, I reckon there's probably two players that I'd love at Port, and that's uh, Rory Thompson. I think he's a really good key defender. Maybe a little bit laconic at times, but I think in maybe you know two, another two or three seasons he'll probably be all Australian level. Um, and Kate Collajasny's had a, a wonderful year, and you know yeah. if he's not talked about, you know he'd be just about on the the verge of making the All Australian squad uh, with this season at the moment. He's one of the only two players that have played every game this year, and you know he'd be a, an absolute monster in a side like Port Adelaide, I reckon. Oh, really? Who would you drop for him or trade for him? Uh, Broadbent, Pittard. Anyone? Oh, we're not trading Pittard. <laughs> I reckon he's an absolute superstar. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> You don't sound convinced, but that's okay. <laughs> no, that's all right. I, I'm not... I do agree, though. I think their defence is probably their weakest. I mean, you look at the other players in that side. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Stephen May. He seems to be rated pretty highly across the AFL, but I don't necessarily see it. And they've got a lot of kids in there this week. Clay Cameron, Henry um, Shade, uh, Sean Lemons. You know, they've got a lot of kids in there, and they've got pretty much zero depth down back as well. Obviously, uh, Malczewski's a, a great player, or, or was a great player. He's you know, in the twilight of his career at the moment as well. But certainly, um, I do agree that's probably a spot where they need to improve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Malczewski's been a bit disappointing this year. Um, sort of went up there, uh, past premiership player, was supposed to be a bit of a role model, but he just really hasn't got on the park enough or shown enough this year considering how much they paid for him. Yeah, no, that's a good call. I think he had a pretty good start to the season, but um, you know, missed six or seven games, and that's probably cost him a little bit of momentum going up there. And um, Yeah, I mean, they were probably hoping that he'd be one of the keys to really sort of push them over the edge to making the finals, and you know, it just hasn't happened. But, yes, John Butcher, eh? Oh, Johnny Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> John Butcher lasts another week. He's uh, still in the side. He's not named on the interchange bench at the moment. Um, might as well talk about the uh, the changes to the sides. Um, Charlie Dixon comes in for the Suns. Um, as we mentioned before the podcast, maybe it's a bit of a uh, you know, a, a bit of a look and see uh, for Port Adelaide. See how he goes. Um, Adam Sard's had a really good year. He's come out of the side as has Josh Hull. Um, into Port Adelaide's lineup is uh, Matty Lobie. He's back. Aaron Young's back, and Carl Amon uh, to add a little bit of pace. Uh, Kane Mitchell has been omitted, which is uh, pretty straightforward. I would have thought. Uh, Jakey Need's been omitted for family reasons. Um, not sure what's going on there. And Jay Schultz is out of the side with a bit of a back injury. Also, they say. 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess... No one need out. There's not much you can do about that. But I also would say that I don't think we miss him too much. I think he's been all right. And I probably wouldn't have gone out to drop him otherwise. But I think that he's he's replaceable um, with our current squad. Um, Mitchell out. Where, where, is, where is Kane Mitchell now? Um, I'm finding it really... Like, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about how good Port Adelaide's played. And I don't think Mitchell's been a very important part of that at all. Is he just going to be purely a death player? Like, completely now? Are we sort of saying... He's got a cap on him now, or what's what's going on with Mitchell? I think I think he's his timing's a bit unfortunate because last week he came on sort of mid last quarter, um, and by that time Archie was just dominating on the field. Mm. Um, so it, he's kind of finding it really hard to fit in now with Archie showing that level of form. But he did he did set up a goal in the first couple of seconds when he came on last week. He's kind of like... mm. yeah. I kind of feel like that's most. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> like if Kane Mitchell doesn't do something in the first couple of seconds, I sort of think he has to go back to the bench and try again in five minutes. Um, I don't know. I think he's, he's still very much the burst. And if we're talking about removing the sub rule at the end of the year, then I don't know. I don't know how that affects us. I still think they're trying to work through the list, and you know that was his chance to, uh, you know, to maybe get another contract for next year. I'm not sure if he's contracted or not for 2016, but. There's, there may be a chance that he is and may still get delisted anyway, so maybe that was his chance. Um, Youngie comes back in, you know, he's had about 15 last chances, so, mm. you know, I, I guess it's probably interesting to see how he will go. You know, we know he is actually contracted for next year. Maybe they're looking at um, trading him, maybe not. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens there as well. Well, one thing to keep in mind for Mitchell is that he's on eight SANFL games for the year and eight. AFL games for the year, and I, I think that the way the um, finals qualification works for the SANFL is you have to have played more um, of the SANFL games. So if he pl- if, if he were to play this week, um, he wouldn't be able to play um, in the SANFL finals. Hmm. Uh, I think okay, I'm going to annoy one club fans here. I think that if we're making any sort of decisions on about the AFL side on the basis of what's better for the Magpies, we are making terrible decisions as a club and we are going to fail. Um, so I really, really, really hope that that's not the reason why he's being dropped this week. Uh, I certainly hope that we don't do anything to drop players back or keep them in the side for the reason of having a strong Magpies side for finals because that is always got to be, absolutely has to be our secondary concern when the majority of income for the club comes through the Adelaide, comes through the the, um, the AFL team, and that's the one that most members actually support. Um, so I really hope that's not the reason. I hope it's just yeah, the I, inside. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. I mean, it's quite possible he got dropped so he can qualify for finals, or it's possible he got dropped because he got one kick last week. So <laughs> I don't know. It's probably maybe a bit of both. You never know. I hope it's only uh, does anything does anything really concern you guys about this game? I guess we're expecting a win. Um, is there a chance that we may be a little bit lethargic going out there? I kind of feel like both sides will probably be a little bit lethargic going out there. Like for Port Adelaide, it's like that we no longer have the mathematical chance, realistically. Um, whereas last week, we might have been able to half convince ourselves that we did have the mathematical chance for finals. Um, and have we even played at Gold Coast before, at the Metricom Stadium before? Have we yes. played? Okay. Yeah, that's when Westhoff got that soccer goal that was almost uh, goal of the 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like it's a. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we've played there before, so we won't get overwhelmed by that. But I don't know. I, I feel like Gold Coast have probably got more reason to, to play well, so that's going to be on their side, um, even if their home crowd is probably not all that big. Um, I guess just back on the selections quickly, if we can. I guess the only yep. real concern I've got about this side is that we've dropped Schultz and the fact that we're bringing Lobby in as the tall, I don't have an issue with that necessarily, but I think that obviously with two games left, we've decided that we're done giving other key forwards on our list to go. Um, this could have been the sort of game, particularly as we talked about how their defence is sort of, eh, this could have been the game we played someone like Shaw or Harvey, um, and, or I suppose even Logan Austin, he's fit. Um, as a as a uh, as an option for this game, um, just to get them a bit of touch, see how they can do, see if they sort of fit in or what's going on. And we've, uh, clearly, I think we've put the, uh, the made the decision there that we're not going to play any new players for these last two games. So I'm a little bit disappointed in that. I think um, because it leaves us with what another two, another season where we haven't really blooded a new tall forward. Harvey missed last week in the SNFL three injuries. Uh, yeah. Come back into the SNFL lineup this week. I'm not sure where Mason Shaw is. I think he was injured a couple of weeks ago. So maybe that's the reason why they're just uh, sticking with Butcher. Yeah, I mean, look, there's probably good reasons why, but it's it's it, like every every week there's probably a really good reason why. Um, but if you make it only as a week by week decision, then that's how you end up in Taco Land, um, where you have no development of the team below your first 22. Yeah. But I guess they're still trying to make this uh, two-ruck system work. So, obviously, Ryder, I think, will play majority up forward. Mm. Uh, West off a centre-half forward. Butcher hanging around there as well. It might be a bit of a game where Butcher can uh, get a bit of a run on and maybe snag a few goals because I'm not sure who's really going to go to him. Maybe um, Henry Shade. He's probably the more natural matchup for, for Butcher, I would think. Yeah, it's it's probably the first time Butcher's had the forward line in a true sense to himself, but he is the number one key forward this week. Ah, uh, I can't look. No, I don't agree. I kind of feel like even I think if Butch has a good game this week, it'll be because Gold Coast have decided they're more worried about West Top and Ryder, um, which would I think would be if I was Gold Coast, I'd be more concerned about West Top and Ryder than I would be about Butcher. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no mm-hmm. doubt. But uh, you never know. Fingers crossed, Butch. Uh, can have a bit of a performance this week and maybe it might go some way towards uh, getting another contract. Yeah. I guess there's been talk... Uh, there's a lot of people um, you know, get backing behind uh, the Butch getting a new deal. Um, even some at the club are sort of uh, you know, starting to make some noises that that might actually happen. So, I don't know. I guess I never really would have seen that maybe 10 weeks ago. I never would have expected him to get a, another deal for next year. Right. It, it's, he's been playing all right. It's just... His set shots, like his field kicking's not too bad. It's just his set shots, which is the issue. Um, what, what do you guys think about that? Nah, I, I think that we have a lot of... I, I still think he's got a lot of issues uh, with his game. I still don't think he knows how to lead um, no. in terms of when to go, how hard to go. He often overshoots the lead. He's got a double back. Um, sometimes he's completely out of position, nowhere near the bowl, so that the only thing he can literally do is crash the pack and hope for a spoil. Um, you know, he just never really seems to take any sort of uncontested marks at all. You, you never see him go on a you know 15 or 20 metre lead and mark it out, eyes in front. It's always sort of a contested mark. 
Um, his positioning's all out. Uh, I, I still think, personally, I think his kicking is some way down the list of his issues at the moment. I kind of feel like if we were coaching a Disney sports film instead of the Port Adelaide Football Club, he'd be, really, <laughs> he'd be the underdog that everyone says, oh, you know, you can't make it, Butch, you can't make it. But you know what? He would make it. He would. And I think we love that narrative, but I don't think it's going to happen. Suddenly I have a feeling of going, quack, 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 yeah, exactly. quack, quack. <laughs> <laughs> Go the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So who's going to tear the Suns apart this week? That's a good question. I'm going to say Jack Hobbs. Okay. I'm hoping Carl Amon um, has a bit of a breakout. He's, he's looked a little bit out of place the last few games, but I'm hoping he sort of has a bit of a, just a really good game this week. Yeah. Well, look, two yeah. weeks ago we saw Archie have his breakout game. Last week we saw Sammy Gray have his breakout game. These things come in three, so it's either got to be Jarman Impey playing in the midfield and getting 35 touches, or Carl Amon having a ripper game. Um, I think that, yeah, look, either of those could happen, but I, I just sort of feel like Jack Homsch is in a position where he will be able to run around the back line, get lots of marks, and just be completely frustrating and annoying to the Gold Coast Suns this week. I think that there's no... I think that the matchups favour our defence... Um, quite honestly, uh, and I think that he'll be the one that uh, is the visible demonstration of that. Um, yeah. But if you talk about the young blokes coming on, yeah, they might might do all right. It really depends on how he's played, I guess. Um, but uh, you say these things coming through, so I'm not convinced that they will this week. But That's for his sport. So who plays on Dixon? Uh, Jonas. Jonas. Jonas, yep. Yeah, well, I've got to say, part of it for me is I want to see what Dixon's capable of, and for me, the thing that Dixon needs to be capable of if we want to draft him, or sorry, trade for him, is that he needs to show that he's capable of beating a guy that's shorter than he is, but is kind of bullocky, because if he can't beat that guy, then I have suddenly doubts about getting him in. So I want to see him on Jonas, but I don't know whether that'll be the actual matchup or not. I hope so he we do realizes... have the three tools up there. Yeah. I hope, he re... I hope Dixon realizes that he'd rather be kicking goal support than having to um, deal with our defenders by the end of the match. Mm. I just want to see him not limp yeah, off. Well, I, mean, I mean, he's I limped think off probably his make... last sort of six or seven games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, James Heard used to limp off a lot too. I don't think it really affected him too much. Um... <laughs> True. Yeah, uh, I think that obviously we haven't changed our defensive lineup at all uh, at this point. So realistically, I think we're just going to be playing the same defence we played the last few weeks, and we're just going to completely try and frustrate their supply. Um, and I think that they've had enough injuries uh, that we are in a strong position to be able to continue to do that. Um, I think really the only question is how focused we are and whether we play, or whether we follow the team rules enough to to get the win. Uh, it's going to be a real test of Port Adelaide's focus and you know, commitment to playing as a team, I think, this week, um, more than anything else. Yep, that's fair. I'm uh, hoping to see Nathan Cracker have a ripper game on Harley Benno. I think he'll go to him and hopefully shut him out of the game. I think uh, Pitt out on Matera is going to be a pretty interesting matchup. 
Um, the player that I think is going to have a, an outstanding game is probably going to be Robbie Gray. I think he's just going to tear shit up out there and maybe get 30-3 and three and be best on ground. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Need, need Wingard to keep his goal streak going. Yep. Yeah, that'll, that'll probably happen. And to get some more of the ball, I want to see him get 30 touches and you know, hopefully push back towards that 20-touch uh, average for the season. Yeah, it would be amazing yeah. if he can average two and a half goals and 20 touches for the season. That's just ridiculous numbers. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, a, dream, it's a dream number, that one, having that sort of average uh, for, obviously, that attacking midfielder. Um, every, every club in the league wants that sort of player, so if we've got him, mm. if we the archetype of that, then we are very lucky people. And I don't think those sort of stats have happened in the AFL for a long, long time. I mean, we always sort of bring up, you know, Paul Chapman or Stevie J, but not even them have, not no. even those um, have averaged, you know, 20 and 2 a game. I think you're probably having to go back to one of Lee Matthews' years, which is a, a very long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Was Ackmanis reasonably close? Uh, he never averaged two goals a game mm. across his career, I don't think, from memory. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, it probably would be. Yeah, Lee Matthews, probably. Mm. I can't think of anyone outside of that. Not bad company. No, yeah. not at all. I mean, you know, yeah, that would be all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here we go. <laughs> Just a quick one, a, a bit of a strange one, uh, talking about maybe Brownlow votes, and obviously we're not going to get as many votes as last year. Gray was one of the favourites last year, uh, polled pretty poorly. Bokey was up there. Um, yeah, has Chad Wing got a, a sneaky chance to maybe get in the top sort of four or five vote getters? It'll, uh, it'll be all heavy ended to the back of the year because the start of the year was wasn't bad, but it was a little bit lean at the first um, five to ten weeks. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is just. I think the performance of the team this year is just a really good ex, not excuse, but a really good reason to um, split the votes around. Like, I think we've had a every week. I think we've had a whole bunch of people bob up and down um, as potential people getting Brownlow votes. Um, realistically, if we're going to have someone in the top five, it's got to be someone that you wouldn't that gets token votes every week, and they say, "Ah, oh, yeah, I've got to pick someone from Port because it was a close match, or because they won." Who am I going to pick? And I still think Robbie Gray is going to be leading that. I can't imagine that Chad will poach that this year. Maybe next year, but. Uh, yeah, I think we might see some votes, pity votes or some Robbie Gray pity votes. Where I say pity, they probably actually deserved them. But um, the umpires have just felt that they're not in a position to give votes 3-2-1 to the opposition every game. Watching the Brownlow last year, I got the sense that the umpires didn't actually know who Robbie Gray was for the first half of the year. Because I don't think he polled, he polled hardly <laughs> anything in the first half last year. Yeah... Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about Brownlow injustices, I, I find it hard to get... I think that my brain shorted out after Warren Treadray in 2004, quite honestly. Um, that was it. That was it for me. Like, after that, I don't think I've ever bothered about a Brownlow since then. I don't think there's really any opportunity for a Port Adelaide player to win it. So, we'll see. That's a good call. So, predictions. Who's going to win? What's the margin going to be? Uh, um. Look, I feel like I feel like we should win, so I'm actually going to be annoyed if we don't. Um, I'm going, but I don't think we will. I think we should, but I don't think we will. I think it's going to be Gold Coast by about six goals. 
Um, but I think we should. <laughs> Gold Coast by six goals. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I'm going to say we'll win by five goals. I think Gold Coast's form has been picking up the last few weeks. Um, but we, we should win, and I think we'll win by about five goals. I'm really worried now that I've actually tipped Gold Coast by six goals if even Mac is querying tipping the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pick Port by six points. I think it's going to be a pretty dour game. Uh, not one to record, not one to uh, watch in the future, I don't think, but uh, still hoping for uh, Robbie Gray to get 30-3 and three and also Johnny Butcher to kick a few goals as well. I would be a little bit wary if it's really wet up there because um, that brings both teams real close together. I think. Yeah. No, I think we win if it's wet. And look, uh, Fishing Rick's going up there. He's going to be at the game, as is uh, Crazy Big Owl. So we know that uh, we can always blame uh, Rick if we do lose. (laughs) Next thing up, um, we did this a couple of weeks ago and I thought we should maybe do another one. So what I've done is uh, done a bit of an Ask the Podcast thread on Bigfooty and we've come back with a number of really good quality questions. Um, So we've got quite a bit to work through here. So uh, the first is by Portmanteau, which is uh, regarding rookie listing a current Port Magpie, such as uh, Stevie Summerton or or Benny Sawford. His question is, um, how should we approach this from a list management and one club perspective, considering um, A, that uh, a player would likely be replaced by a lesser able uh, $400 a week player uh, limited by the new conditions and B, if it doesn't actually work out it seems that they would be lost to the Port Adelaide Footy Club when delisted Um, I think what is important to say is that any decisions we make should be made for the benefit of the AFL side so that should be for my mind the first consideration but I think that if we do talk about one club in the aspect uh, of everything outside of that I think if we're looking at, okay, well, what is best for one club? And I feel like the reality is that what's best for one club is that players that come and play for the Magpies that aren't on the senior list, that aren't on the AFL list, that they feel there's some chance of progression. Because if you recall before Port Adelaide's AFL entry, we had no problem at all getting players in from interstate and other clubs to come and play at the Magpies because it was seen at that level as being a pathway to playing at the top level. And I think that we saw a similar thing say, 10 years ago with Box Hill and Hawthorne when Sammy Mitchell got picked up, like, doing that occasionally and having the player work out, like, that shows that there's a pathway and that's going to have a knock-on effect for the SNFL side. So I think that if they're good enough for the AFL side, rookie them, don't worry about the rest of it. But also, from a Magpies perspective, I don't think they should fear, like, even if it comes to complications, I don't think that they should fear losing a player to the power list and how that shuffles their side because I think that makes the Magpies a more attractive destination for those second tier of uh, football players. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with Nicole. that. That's... I don't really have too much more to add to that. I, I agree 100%. I think it really depends on that specific player. Um, obviously, guys like, uh, if we're going to go sort of the Benny Salford route, you obviously hope that he's got the progression to become a, a long-term AFL player. Um, someone like Stevie Summerton, I guess, you know, you just got to take that risk and, if it means that he, he can't play for the Maggies, if he gets delisted, you know, a 12 months down the track, then, you know, so be it. Because you're going to be picking Stevie Summerton as a bit of a Josh Marnie type pick and hoping that that sort of player can help push you over the edge for a premiership. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess that the main query I'd have is 
the players that we're talking about, like, are they people that fill a need for our AFL side in the first place? Because we're already getting at the stage, for example, where we, I think that we're, as far as second-tier midfielders that are okay and, say, halfbacks, I think that we're already really well covered on our list for that. Um, and I'd, I don't think there's a need to spend any more speculative picks on players in that ilk. Um, I think that we really need to focus on uh, continuing to recruit for our weaknesses, but also just continuing to recruit you know, ready-made players, uh, and I don't think they're necessarily at the Magpies. Sam Gray was the first example of one club transition, wasn't he? Is that right? Yeah, really, yeah. From coming from a Port Adelaide Magpies zoned area, yeah, I'd say, yes, he would be. All right, moving on. Next question. We've got uh, a couple of questions by Long Live PAFC, so we'll go through them one by one. The first one is, uh, where do we need Ryder more uh, in the ruck or up forward? And I guess my answer to that is, why not both? Yeah, the little Mexican girl from the El Paso ad. Um, <laughs> exactly. I, I think that if we look at our form this, in, yeah, if we look at his form this year, I think that what he has brought to ruck recently has far surpassed what he had brought to the forward line at any point this year. So on that basis, I think he's more important to us as a ruckman. But I can see that we would continue to play him with a strong forward presence next year. Some of the highlights from his rucking against Hawthorne were quite. Amazing! Like he just do the slight twist of the hand and direct it straight down the throat of Sam mm. Gray or Robbie Gray or even Chad Wingard when he was going through there. Some amazing tap work last week. Yeah, and so for that I reason, I think he's clearly our our most natural ruckman, our best you know ruck option, and you know he's probably our best option as a, as a second toll forward as well. So ultimately, you would love to have two of him. I think I think his best position is in the ruck mm. uh, rather than rather than up forward personally. Yeah, if we didn't have a gaping hole in our forward line, then he'd be a ruckman every day of the week. Yep. Which leads into our second question, which is, does Loby play again if we get Dixon, and could we reverse the roles of Loby and Ryder? Um, I don't think we could reverse the roles of uh, Loby and Ryder, because I don't think Loby has the combination of tank and speed to do what Ryder does up forward. Um, I don't think... Or the, the fact Dixon... that he can't actually take a mark. Is well, there's that a as big well. cross. But, I mean, we're not worrying about that for Butch, are we? So I'm not going to necessarily worry about that for lobbying in particular. <laughs> um, sure. I think that if Dixon... Dixon doesn't change it. I don't think Dixon changes it at all. If anything, he's probably going to take a spot away from a halfback flanker um, because if we have a decent forward line, then there's not quite so much need to rely on our halfbacks bringing it down the line and then sort of bombing it long and hoping um, we'll have a proper structure. And that means you, if you have a proper forward structure, it means you can have less people in defence. So I think that's more likely to be the balance change myself. Probably the thing I'm looking yep. forward to most this week is just seeing that combination working again because we haven't actually seen it that much this year, the Loby Rider thing. So I'm actually genuinely looking forward to just seeing if they can get that to work somewhat a little bit better than earlier in the year. I think that if we look back at, I suppose, I don't think it's really unfair to say, I think if we look through the golden age of Port Adelaide ruck work, which we all saw in the um, early 2000s, which I think that it's pretty safe to say over the history of the club that was the golden age of ruck work. Um, we had a weird disadvantage advantage which made it possible for us to have two good ruckmen at any given time, which is that we had a huge number of long-term season-ending injuries for ruckmen. And uh, what that did is that it gave different guys the opportunity to be number one ruckman for a long enough time that they developed their style, that the team got to know them pretty well, 
that they worked out how they were going to play the role. And so we saw Matthew Primus come out and have a full season. That's right. During those heyday years, we had Primus. We had Primus, yeah. we had Laid, and we had um, Brogan at, all at the yeah. same time. And they were but, all A graders. They were sort of were. Like, um, but the reason they were, and this is more later in that run, is because they had all had, all had the opportunity to work out how to play the role uh, as the number one. And so when it came time, they were already experienced players. So if they're going into being the second ruck or the third ruck or whatever else... Um, they already had enough confidence in their own style, in what the teammates were doing, whatever else. They had that necessary on-ground experience of just managing the rucks that they could actually reduce that role and do something else at the same time. And I think that that's what we're seeing is the, the problem with um, Ryder and Lobby, and probably more particularly Lobby, is that they have some experience being the number one ruck. Um, they could both do a bit more. Uh, but it's hard to get that understanding of how you're going to fit in with the rest of your team in less than a full game. Like, it's it's probably the most, I think, outside of something like a full-back role where you start with a kind of key forward and you try and find the whole game and work out how the ebbs, how it's going to ebb and flow. I think it's the same thing with Ruckman, um, very much so, in that you see how it's going, you see where the, the contest is going to be fought, um, both in terms of how you, the opposition ruck lines up, how the opposition, opposition midfielders are lining up, how the umpiring is going to be done for the game, because that's a huge thing in Ruck. Um, and I think that if you have to come in and out and you're not really confident in how you're playing that you and how your teammates are going to play around you and how they're going to match up against the opponent, um, it becomes much more challenging to be at your peak effectiveness in that role. And so I think that's why we're seeing, you know, when Lobby was the number one ruckman all last year, he had his best form. When Lobby's been out of the side, Ryder's suddenly come into his best form. It's because they've had the time to get used to that role exclusively. And I think it's harder for, to find sides with two good Ruckman that haven't also had a lot of time as the number one Ruckman in that same team. For, for Lobby's, for Loeb's career, if he were to spend all of next year in the SANFL, like how much damage would that do to his career? Um, I think it would be a huge Significant. Yeah, but if he broke his knee, <laughs> touching wood, I'm touching, every, I'm touching a forest here. If he stuffed up his knee <laughs> in the preseason and missed the season and came back the year after, I think Ryder would be better for it, and I think that Lobby would probably still come back okay potentially. Um, I think that it's just useful to have that long period, particularly for Ryder coming into the club fresh, um, that long period where you are the number one ruckman for a while just so you can work out you know, what Robbie Gray is going to do, what Ollie Wines is going to do, and all that sort of thing. But hopefully they've found some way to fast-track that. I guess having a good ruck coach can do that too, but we'll see a good midfield coach. And that's do you think... Do you think it's too much of a contingency insurance to have two A-grade Ruckman just in case, say, imagine if Ryder got injured next year and we traded Loby, That would pretty much end our premiership hope if we were to lose an A-grade Ruckman and not have someone, like if we just have Redden or something like that remaining. So do you think it's actually worth paying that little bit extra just to have that sort of insurance policy? Um, I don't see it as an insurance policy because I think that the main thing that's made people go away from having two Ruckman, in my view, in recent years is the sub-rule, um, in that the sub-rule has sort of taken away a traditional, OK, we'll keep a tool on the bench and replaced it with a, OK, we'll keep a guy that's either marginally fit or is good on the burst in the side. Um, I don't see a reason why you wouldn't always have two Ruckman. And if you're reducing the number of interchanges as well, potentially... Um, and I think it becomes almost more important to have Ruckman that can play a whole game uh, or at least a solid half of it every week 
um, because, as you say, if you have the main guy go down, then you're really kind of stuffed. Um, we've seen some very good sides that have lost Ruckman when they've had shallow depth there, and they just sort of really can fall apart if they're midfield-focused. I think that's probably the one advantage of the way we set it right now is that we can play with a losing ruck um, because we do set it with a slingshot, but it does commit us to that because we're conceding the clearance almost to a large extent. It's interesting we've now discussed the sub-rule for a little bit, so that was one of Andre's questions, was uh, do you think the removal of the sub-rule will change how we line up next year? And do we see Port benefiting or being disadvantaged? And I'd say I actually see us benefiting from it. And I do think um, it's going to change the way that um, not just us, but every team sort of lines up. Well, I mean, there's no doubt it's going to change the fitness requirements of every side. Um, Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, And I think that, as you say, we are well-placed to do that because um, we've got a lot of faith in Burgess right now. and if we've had people complaining about how we're all trained to be like soccer players and whatever else, well, if you take out several and replace it with a player and if you just the interchanges, then you need to have that kind of endurance where you can play like a soccer player. Um, so even if, if, that's, if that slur on Burgess is correct, then we're in an even better position than I'm talking about. Um, yeah. but I, I don't think it'll disadvantage us. I, I don't think it'll disadvantage us more than anyone else. Um, no. No. When when you think about, I think with that, with the sub rule and the um, uh, the cut to the rotation, so I think they're looking at going to eighty rotations. I think it's at one hundred and twenty at the moment. I I think we're going to see a lot more slower uh, game of football being played next year and beyond. And you know, I I think that really does suit having two more ruckmen out there. To be honest, so I think the Lobie and Ryder experiment. Well, you know, it's not really an experiment anymore, but I, I think that will work wonders next year. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's really just going to come down to the type of fitness. So I know that it's feasible to say it's an excuse, not an excuse, a reason to play slower players and expect them to do better. But I think what it really means is that if you've got a fast player that's got endurance, so back in the old day, the unique blend of speed and endurance, um, if you've got that sort of player around, then that's just going to be a huge advantage going forward because the pace is always still going to be a huge edge on your opponents. And I think we've got that, and I think we've got it with enough endurance to be able to get away from the sort of um, impact running that we've uh, seen sides rely on, and particularly us in the last two or three years. Geelong will be absolutely laughing with Blixarves then. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Another question from Long Live uh, PAFC is, uh, can Schultz play as anything other than the number one forward? No. No, I don't think so either. Has he ever? No, oh, he did for a little bit at Richmond, but outside of that, not really, no. He was centre-half back for them for a while, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Next question, Stuart to Austin. Are we likely to see Hinkley re-engage in his Trengove at centre-half forward experiment like he did at times in 2013? And uh, once again, my answer to that question is I don't think so. No, because he knows the list better now. Yeah, I, I can't see any benefit of that. Plus, we've got better forward options. You know, we've got more forwards on our list. Um, you know, if we do get Dixon, that's going to be Dixon and Ryder and Westhoff in the side. Hopefully, someone like Harvey or Shaw or Howard's going to be really pushing for games as well. So, I don't think we actually need to be playing or experimenting with Trangover at centre-half forward. No. Uh, a bit of a long question here uh, from Chewy. 
which is, uh, as of late, a few media types have claimed that Port's defence is too top-heavy when we play Homsch, Carlisle and Trengove in the same side. Um, he also notes that uh, more teams seem to be dropping down to a two-tall forward approach with a lot of medium sort of Gunson or Monfries types in terms of style and size. Um, furthermore, none of our back tolls are of the sort of Harry Taylor or Ben Reid variety who can actually swing forward and jag a few goals. If all three were at 100% fitness and health, but we could only play two, who would you leave out and why? Mm-hmm. Um, can I answer the first part first? Um, yep. Which is that I don't think we're too tall in defence. I think that nope. we, we were talking about only two weeks ago against GWS about how we have a, a height deficiency in our key defenders. Um, it's not a deficiency, but against the the, the young side, so we're talking about I suppose, GWS specifically and uh, Gold Coast, potentially our defence needs as many tall options as it has. Um, and I also think we've seen that they are still good producers, even when there's not really important tour matches up against them. I think that we've had a, in the last really since since Buddy Franklin went to Sydney, which two key forward uh, league, um, because when they had, well, I suppose even back further, they had uh, um, Buddy and they had Roughhead and well, Boyle, I suppose even at Hawthorne, you know, three pretty okay-ish tall fours where the third one's just tall enough. You're still going to need three tall defenders on them. Um, and our guys have shown, I think, like Homp, for example, I think he's okay, good enough to play a bit shorter um, if he needs to. Um, I don't see anything wrong with our, our current tall back and lineup. But if we had to drop one of Carlisle, Trango and Homp, I think that the one you'd be dropping or relocating, I suppose, um, Based on needs, it'd probably be Trengo because I think Carlisle is going to be a fullback, and I think Homsch is only going to be a back, whereas Trengo has some versatility. Hmm. I'm going to is say this... that I actually disagree in that he says that um, a lot of teams are going to a two tall forward approach. I actually think a lot of teams are still playing three key forwards, and therefore three tall uh, defenders are actually needed. I also disagree with calling Jack Gunson a, a medium sort of size. Um, yep. forward considering he's 193, 194 centimetres but certainly he's very, very mobile uh, but he does still have that uh, that sort of height to him I do agree that we don't have you know, none of our defenders I would have any sort of um, trust in playing up forward and, or snagging a couple of goals but I would say if I was to drop one of them if we had to, it would have to be Jack Homsch Yeah, if you had to I... drop you'd probably drop Homsch but I think if you could relocate Tringo. I think our team is play, plays at its best when um, we've got the defensive midfielding midfield sort of rot- rotating through defence and playing the small defender role, um, gut running sort of style. I think you you need those big key, uh, key defenders um, to con- uh, compete with the other key forwards, and yeah, it's just sort of a team effort to do the small um, defender roles. I kind of feel... I'd, I'd be keeping Trengove because he's got genuine height. He can take the monsters. Carlisle was a very, very good shutdown defender. Um, and for me, the reason why I would be dropping Jack Homsch if, if, that, if it had to come to that would be because I just don't think at the moment he's capable of taking the number one key defender um, as his form since Carlisle's been out of the, the side has shown. So that would be my reasoning there. I guess another thing to consider is that traditionally a good defender is usually a couple of years older than the equivalent good forward. 
Um, and the reality is that the, what people are considering to be a good key forward going forward, they're like guys at 197 centimetres. So the reality is that someone like Comp, he's a medium defender in the new world for five years' time. Um, so I don't think that's going to be an issue um, going forward uh, against top forwards because there's going to be guys that are bigger and taller than the guys we've already got. I think we're well positioned. Yep. Another question from Andre. Dear podcast, can Fishing Rick and Porsche duel it out on an elevated platform gladiator style to see who is Mac's <laughs> co-host going forward? I don't like His money's on Porsche. I, I don't like heights. No, no thanks. Mm. See, Rick's probably already got the padding, so I don't think he really needs uh, any sort of gladiator style padding. So my money would be on uh, Fishing Rick. Yeah, I, I would probably just try and stand up there and do a crane kick like Karate Kid, and if they didn't come off, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> if, if, uh, if our attendance has ever dropped at Adelaide Oval, um, I think we have a solution to keep people coming through the gates. <laughs> Next question, Chad Wingoat. Uh, would you trade Lobie, and if so, to who and for what price? And would we be able to snag Dixon at the expense of Lobie and keep our first-round pick? Um, I have no idea because it depends on what the demand is and I think it's very iffy as to what it will be this year. I think next year will be more obvious once we see what the effects of the interchange rule are and the removal of the sub. Um, what was the second part of that question? I've forgotten. Uh, would we be able to snag Dixon at the expense of Lobie and, and also keep our first round pick? Nah, no way. Yeah, I can't see that happening. I, simply because it would have to be a three-way deal. I'm not sure how we would get around that. Um, and still end up keeping our first pick. I'm not too sure. I don't think Gold Coast are in the in the running for a ruckman. Uh, I think they're pretty happy with with Tom Nichols. I think. Um, I, I... Would I trade Lobie? I, I probably would, to be honest. I've you know maybe thought about that a, a fair bit this year and and last year as well. To who and for what price? I'm not too sure. I think there's probably a couple of teams that are that are searching for ruckman. Essendon's probably one. You know maybe the Bulldogs might be another. Um, for what price would we be able to get? You know, I mean, I don't think um, Ruckman, certainly in recent history, have gone for all that high. So I think uh, we'd have to be trading him for maybe underneath what his actual worth to our club is. I, would think. I think I think this is where you start. And I know it's we're talking about people here, so it is quite um, ghoulish for some people. Um, but I have no morals, so it's fine. Which is that you need, to, you need to look at market activity and what the market is concerned about. And I think that right now the rules discussion, the rule changes that we're talking about so far today about the interchange rule and the sub rule, I think now is not a time that other clubs will be thinking, let's invest in us in an extra ruckman, um, which was what they'd be doing with lobby. Um, this, I don't think this is the time that people are going to say, yeah, let's go out for a ruckman, because I don't think they know what the effect of those rules is going to be. I don't know whether they think the removal of the sub-rule is going to bring back the fact that you need a second Ruckman or if it's going to do something else in this more updated world. So I think that next year, uh, end of next year, when we know what's going to happen, we'll have a better idea of what Lobby's capable of and what his worth is to our side, and every other club will have a better idea of that as well. So I think if we were going to trade him, we should hang on to him for another year regardless. Yeah, I agree. I'd just give the chan- uh, the, the, the two-rut system a chance. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, next question is from Glitch. Um, looking at the likes of Moore, Young and Mitchell, do we keep the likes of Mitchell who work hard and always give 100% whether at SANFL or AFL level or do we persist with Moore and Young who appear to have more talent but fail to deliver consistently and do any of them have any real trade value? No. The last part, no. 
No, I wouldn't think so. I think Youngie might have a little bit. I've heard um, around the traps that there might be one or two clubs that are, um, you know, maybe a little bit interested in him. But I certainly don't think Moore's got any trade value. He's out of contract as well, so people can just wait until we delist him. You know, similar to like the Benny Newton situation last year, Kane yeah. Mitchell I would significantly doubt would have any trade value at all. And you know, maybe for Youngie we might get a late second round pick, but that would be. The, the ceiling on that one, I would think. Yeah, I wouldn't even expect that. If, if another club is interested in Young, it means they probably think they can get him for free or close to it. Young, yeah. I still hold out some hope for. He's probably played the best AFL footy of, of the three, maybe the most consistent as well. Um, just need him to get some more outside bowl at AFL level, I think. Um, you know, Moore's just been a little bit disappointing. And Mitchell, I think, with his size and height and you know, kicking deficiencies, I think he's always going to be up against it. I kind of feel like Aaron Young is tracking for a Paul Stewart career. Um, he'd probably, he could be on our list for another four or five years realistically, but I don't think he's going to make it at this point. Um, but I also don't know if he's got much trade value. So it comes down to how, what value, what sort of season do we think we're going to have next year? And what value do we have or do we place on the fact that we could have Young as a backup next year as opposed to having another recent draftee that we're not sure whether they'll be able to play or not? Um, are we willing to make that punt? And I think with Mitchell, I might be able to. More, I definitely would. But Young, I'd probably think he's probably just valuable enough that I'd keep him on the list uh, in preference to what we could replace him with in the draft. I think he's still an important depth player for us. He's still going to be around the mark. You know, he's you know probably going to be at emergency level next year and either just in or just out of the side. So I'd certainly want to see um, at least one of those players kept this year or next year, sorry. And for me, that's uh, Aaron Young. So the okay. last question we've got is from uh, Manure uh, ID, which is a bit of a drinks question. So I'm going to change it around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favourite tipple, Porsche? Um, the one I would have most commonly would be vodka and orange juice. Um, I did okay. discover a, a couple of weeks ago cherry Dr Pepper and vodka, which I really quite enjoy. Um, it's 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 weird, but it, it's good. Like it, yeah. Anyway, that's me. I'll take the crab juice, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> cup <Cuff-colosh>. colour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Nothing nothing exciting. I don't really get into wines or, or beers. Really, sorry, it's boring. Oh, just keep it simple. Have a West End. Hey, that's the way. Jeez, the only way could be more Port Adelaide if you said Southwark Premium. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Southwark. Oh. Mm. I remember that stuff. <laughs> For me, it's yeah, probably a mix of beer or wine. Uh, love my wine. Got a pretty neat little cellar. Love it. Um, beer, love it. Uh, straight Scotch. Enjoy it. Um. I'm not really all that fussy. I'm not prejudiced against booze. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hate to think there's some lonely booze out there that no one likes. <laughs> all right, on that note, let's hope it's uh, a winning weekend for Port Adelaide. And, of course, uh, the Maggies play West Adelaide this week, I think, as well, the last match before the yeah. finals. That's interesting. Um, that game will decide um, who gets the second chance. Okay. Yeah. Win their fifth straight and uh, get into some good form heading into the finals. All right, until next time, can't Port Adelaide. Can the power. Can the pair. One last hurrah. Nine. Loads up. They need a mark and then a goal. 
West off almost. Motluck couldn't quite. Enright, good tackle. Cassisi to win it. Cassisi does win it. Oh!